Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 42nd episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, are you ready to be an outsider? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really excited for the set to come out. I think the limited format looks great. I think the impact on Constructed might... I don't know. We'll, we'll get into that, but I'm very excited for the limited format. We haven't had a draft format since Uprising came out, and this one's looking very promising. So far, I have been on a whirlwind of roller coaster of emotions for with Usuri, where I'm like, yeah. this hero's broken, and now I'm pretty sure she's unplayable, and I'm sad. <laughs> so do you want to start with talking about Usuri? Sure, sure. So I haven't gotten to play with her yet. I think that's... Her power doesn't seem that strong for most of the game. The main time it's good is if you have like one card in hand, or I guess like you have no arsenal and you have two cards and you play a stealth card. And if they overblock it, then you just arsenal whatever you were going to attack reaction in. If they block it with one card, then you attack reaction in your big disruptive thing that they wish they would have blocked two cards. And if they don't block, you can do whatever you want. So. Yeah, the issue is in the last part when you're talking about when people don't block you and you're like, oh, well, like, so Uzuri does have a lot of really good uh, on hits and like disruption effects, um, but there's some clunky things that I've been running into more and more with the deck. So obviously, I think what Uzuri uh, is the best at is disrupting arsenals between the Leave No Witnesses uh, assassin card that's a red for four, sneaking that in and that blows up an arsenal. Um, and generate silver when you banish red cards um, and command and conquer. Um, they're just like the two very strong effects to uh, just start disrupting your opponent's arsenal. However, there's a new token that comes out with this set and it's called an inertia token. And you really want to be playing this card called uh, codex of inertia as well as like other effects that also create um, inertia tokens like uh, death touch can create them. And there's stealth cards that can create them. There's reactions that create them, but I don't think they're very good in Assassin. But it's just really awkward when you play your Codex of Inertia or generate an Inertia token through one of your effects, and then you pass the turn, and then you draw into like Leave No Witnesses and Command and Conquer. You're like, oh, well, these aren't going to be the disruption I want no matter what on this turn cycle because there's no way my opponent's going to have an arsenal. And it just leads to like these really awkward play patterns where you're causing not your you're causing your opponent to not have an arsenal, which just causes your disruption to not be disruptive. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. <laughs> and then as far as hand disruption is concerned, it's really just her specialization and um, surgical extraction. And they're fine, but there's a lot of. It turns out there are way more hands and flesh and blood that are just playable off of like three cards and still deal way more damage than six on a turn cycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I guess especially if Uzuri is just targeting arsenals and that's like her main form of disruption. Even without an inertia token, you can just be like, "I'm just going to play my hand and never arsenal because yeah, that's, that's she has how you six, beat... six anti-arsenal cards." Yeah, you just you just beat Uzuri by just saying no blocks and just hopefully your deck can do more damage per turn cycle than hers because none of her effects have go again, none and like uh, so you can play Razor Reflex to help give go again or use Black Tech Whispers, but still that means like you're like 
maybe like four card tenning a lot of the time oh, I like yeah because you are still attacking with your uh stupid daggers whether it be spider bite or or bit there's all, all the whole range of daggers and yeah it's pretty disappointing that we still are dealing with dagger land here yeah so when i was like i really hope we get a, a playable assassin weapon this is definitely not what i had in mind where they just give us like four very slightly different version of spiders bite and now there are a bunch of different bad assassin weapons that are less bad in different situations, but like every single one of them, you're spending two resources to attack for one go again. That's just like not good. But I have a deal for you, Michael. You okay. could blow them up as an attack reaction with a specific piece of equipment and still deal one point of damage and have them deal their effect. Does that sound like a good deal to you? So like you can't do it like retroactively, right? Like, so when they block with, if they block with an attack action, you can't then attack reaction, throw your spiders by them and shrink that attack reaction or that. Attack no, reaction. it very specifically says the next of whatever they're shrinking is going to happen. That's why nerve scalpel is the best one to always have one of on your hand. Uh, so you want to be going into a match with like, either spider's bite or the one that shrinks not attack actions and then usually nerve scalpel because if your opponent plays like a sink below there's they were used to not attacking attacks uh thanks to spectra but wait till you hear about not defending defense cards because technically the defense reaction is not a defending card until it resolves so you can respond to the casting of sink below throw your nerve scalpel at your opponent and as the sink below resolves it will resolve with minus one so like that's like the best upside of what you're doing with like this uh equipment sweep from what i found so far that that does actually sound reasonable throwing nerve scalpel in response to sink below is your fate for scenes like it's face up so your opponent knows about it but what are they going to do the whole game just treat their defense reactions block three instead of block four so that's a pretty big cost Unfortunately, like you were saying, um, not having a lot of natural go again outside of your weapons and your weapons being really inefficient does seem like it could lead to a lot of awkward spots during a game. And the awkward thing about like Arachne is that they're also not amazing at using four card hands where you're going to be wanting to use one or two cards on defense. And then if that leaves one or two cards on offense, if you're just coming in with like a zero for four or like using a tuna counter to come in for like five or something like that. It's not really a great place to be. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just the assassin identity still doesn't feel fully fleshed out despite now half a set and two thirds of a set dedicated to like giving them more support and help for their class. Yeah, also notable for Arachne specifically, there's not a single contract card in the set. There's all these stealth cards that don't interact with Arachne. There's no weapons that care about stealth. I don't think there's anything except hero abilities that care about stealth, and Arachne's hero ability only cares about contract. And so stealth is basically like the cards having stealth. I think some attack reactions maybe let you only or can only target stealth cards, but like for the most part, the stealth keyword is just a blank if you're trying to play Arachne. Yeah, so it's not unprecedented to have two heroes in the same class be released, but have them being wildly divergent. So what comes to mind is like Dorinthia and Bolton play very differently. 
um, I guess Levia and Reinar play pretty similarly. There's a lot of overlap between their play patterns still. Um, but all the Rune Blades play, you know, very similarly. They're still just doing non-attacks and attacks and stuff like that. So it's not completely unprecedented to have heroes play completely divergently, but I think it would be nice if one of the heroes had like a coherent like game plan and full deck list that they were happy to play before they just went off into divergent land as the new hero. And it's just, it's still early. So maybe we're missing something and there's some cool interaction with Uzuri that will come out. But like so far it's just been more and more demoralizing realizing that, you know, my disruption's not good enough. The damage isn't good enough. My weapons aren't good enough. Throwing them's not good enough. Well, not, not nothing seems good enough so far and just sad yeah and maybe I, I don't know what the format needs to look like for Uzuri and Arachne to be like particularly good it doesn't seem like they just like it seems like the format's really fast and aggressive they're just going to get run over and die because they can't disrupt well enough to stop like the really efficient aggro decks and against the setup decks that they're like potentially ha- they have a chance to fatigue basically their issue with spending four card hands seems like could cause a lot of problems against these slower setup decks because like if you have if you're playing against Ice Energy goes, I'm gonna cast a frost tax, and you're like, Well, uh, I'll attack you for four. <laughs> then yeah. you're not gonna win that game. So yeah. So I, I think I guess if you're trying to solve assassins, it doesn't seem like they have the tools to race and damage, and they can't like to race the aggro decks and damage, they can't really fatigue them either they don't have a good weapon they don't i don't think they're really disruptive or defensive enough to really fatigue the best of the aggro decks maybe i'm wrong maybe someone will prove me wrong but i think like even old times can struggle to fatigue like a lot of the good aggro decks and he's better at it than arachne so like you're kind of like stuck in this mid-range spot where you don't have a lot of disruption you do have some powerful on hits but i don't know if your on hits are better than like the rangers or something like that so they're not so two thoughts um one they also didn't give anything that fixes the assassins just worst matchup in the game right now into dromai like it's just still a tr- like sure you get like a couple more poppers you're happy to play but it's not like oh i have nine poppers this is suddenly a coin flip matchup it's like no you still are just gonna die horribly to an overwhelming amount of dragons in the long run and there's nothing you can really do about it because none of your abilities trigger off of hitting dragons so that's really frustrating. And two, I was thinking maybe it's to the point now that assassins can go and get new weapons out of their cyborg, you can play at least a decent weapon for three attacks and Talishar, and you're supposed to start the game with Talishar on the battlefield. Because and it's then not, go grab some daggers. And then just go grab a mopey dagger out of your cyborg when it, if you feel so inclined at some point but really there's not much difference on a lot of turn cycles between having a broken talishar with no weapon slots and having a spider's bite so you know maybe i'll look into talishar usury that's not the craziest thing i've heard (laughs) (laughs) i think that's that's saying a lot right there like just like how bad the assassin weapons are, I I can definitely see Talishar being a good answer, especially against the more aggressive decks where you're like, you you kind of need to race them. You can't be sitting around like attacking your your Briar opponent with spider spice. She's just gonna kill you. 
Yeah, it's just like spider's bite. Brian's like, okay, I wasn't going to block you anyways, buddy. <laughs> okay, my next my next attack gets minus. If threatening my arsenal, here's, here's my crown of providence. I'll, I'll get a new card. Then I won't arsenal next turn. He did it. Learn my lesson. Woohoo. And even when you do, it's just like, oh no, I lose my zero for four attack action as Briar. Okay, here's my Channel Mount or Heroic, zero for seven, Rosetta Thorn, 15 damage turn. And you're like, oh, well, good thing this is only a 15 damage turn instead of a 22 damage turn. We really, we're really bringing you down to our level, buddy. Here's a two card six. <laughs> there are um, There are some powerful tools that I would say like, I would be pretty interested in trying an Arachne. I think like the new codexes, all of them seem reasonable. I don't know which one's the best one. I think the first one they spoiled was probably the one that was most exciting where you both put in an attack action from your discard into your um, arsenal and then both players discard a card. If you play that as your last card, your opponent discards a card. So it like trades for a card, which is gives you hand disruption and then you get to attack their new arsenal with probably leave no witnesses. Leave yeah. No witness. Leave no witness or command and conquer, either one. Which that seems like a pretty powerful interaction. Plus you get whatever the tokens are. I think you get a ponder and they get an inertia or something. Yeah, and that the really awkward thing is that when you're not good at using four card hands, the ponder token doesn't help you because you're like, oh, I could use three of my four cards, but I created a ponder token. I guess I'll arsenal up, wait, then I'll draw an extra card. Thanks, ponder token. Really, mm-hmm. really helped us out over here. Yeah, so I guess like figuring out ways to utilize four and five card hands in Assassin is probably like a big part to figuring out the deck if there is a recipe that works some way to get more action points. And one thing that like really frustrated me was I was like, okay, we just need quicken tokens. You quicken your you quicken token your stealth card, and then if they blo- if they overblock it, you just use the go again to play something else. If they regular block it, you get to cheat your thing in and then play a new attack after. But Quicken specifically says the attack that triggers it gets the go again, not this chain link or something like that. So like if you play your stealth card, they block with one card and you want to use your usury ability to cheat in a bigger attack, basically. You don't then get to go again. You lose the go again. Yeah. So I don't think Quicken tokens are the answer. I don't know what is. Um, we'll take some experimentation. Just try to f- go through the card list, look at some of the generics that maybe we haven't played a lot of. There's... Definitely potential for something to be there. I don't know what it is, but... Yeah, last thing I'll say about, like, uh, Usury before we move on. I guess this... So, like, the cool thing that does work, though, that persists, is if you lead with a stupid stupid stealth card and your opponent blocks it, and then you shred it, the shred will persist even if you swap in the stealth card with uh, just, like, a command attack or something like that. The issue is, is when you have a bunch of shreds in your hand and your opponent says no blocks, y- your hand is atrocious it's just it's just one of the worst like attack reactions in the game for that reason so it's just really awkward yeah shreds are really interesting card because it's like very powerful the rate that you get but like getting a four power essentially a four power attack reaction and very like niche situations with the red but it's very niche for you to get that effect and even like the yellow and the blue it's hard to get value out of a lot of the time because your opponent just says no blocks and then you're like Oh no, my card doesn't do anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then you also like don't have enough sources of go again. So like ideally if you have like a blue shred and you attack with your first thing and your opponent says no blocks, then then you pitch the blue shred to attack with something else afterwards, right? 
but like yeah. none of your attacks have go again. Yeah, then you get your then you could turn your blue shred into a point of damage by attacking with spider's bite. Yeah, I guess like <laughs> you attack with your Talishar. We we've been over. We've just established. You only get three. You only get three of those. I mean, how many? If they're saying no blocks, how many times do you need to attack with Talishar? Probably more than three, but I guess okay. we'll see. Ready to move on? Yeah, Riptide. Let's talk about him next. All right, Riptide has some very powerful tools against a very small percentage of the metagame. I'm pretty sure. So if you look at like his blue specialization traps, especially the one that like, Oh God, I don't know the names of these new cards. The one that makes them discard their hand and draw one collapsing bridge. Yeah. So that card blocks for three deals the damage and strips a card from your opponent on your blue, on your blue card. That's just like a very, very, very powerful effect. Yeah. They started with that one for a reason. They started, they they set the bar high and had everybody's expectations, you know, right at the top. They did. I, I saw that card. I'm like, Riptide's going to be broken. That's why that's why it starts at less health, because he's going to be broken. Look at this card. And then the rest of the cards are not nearly as good, I think. His other two specialization traps. Um, I'm like scrolling There's through that cards. My other Buzzsaw <laughs> Trap and Pitfall Trap, I believe. Okay. I know that one of them is Buzzsaw good. Trap, for sure. 100%. Um, yeah, uh, Buzzsaw Trap and trap. Sp- sp- Spike Bit Trap, yeah. Okay. I just Because that card just makes me think of Trap Hole from Yu-Gi-Oh! from all the way back in the day, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. If that's what they were referencing, it's a good homage. But The other two traps, Buzzsaw Trap and Spike Bit Trap. I think Buzzsaw Trap seems like it should have spots where it's pretty good, where like they attack you with an E-Strike choosing plus two, and then you block with it, and essentially blocks five plus the one damage you're throwing back at them. And again... Like that's a pretty reasonable effect on your blue block three card that has it has like reasonable upside and it's also very good against like channel mount heroic turns and it like blows out combat tricks. Um, it's solid. It's a blue and with Riptide's passive, it's going to deal one damage back to them. I think it's also like a card that you're going to play in every Riptide deck. And if Riptide is viable, it'll be I don't know. It'll be a piece of it, I guess. Um. The last one, Spike Pit Trap, is probably the worst of the three because it only works if your opponent's played a reaction or activated a reaction, which almost always, if they've activated a reaction, then their attack's going to have more than its base power. So Buzzsaw Trap would be turned on, <laughs> I guess, outside of Uzuri's effect specifically. Yeah. I guess, like, what would be interesting? Get rid of this. Get rid of the whole activated or played a reaction made it played an instant this turn make it a check to things like art of war and like it really is like weird now the more that they open up the design space with instants be with like the difference between them and like these reaction type cards because like what's the meaningful difference then between somebody going like okay lightning press haha on my attack and you look at your spike trip trap and you're like oh well this this doesn't trigger because you didn't play a react. You just played an instant. And it's like, that that feels weird to me from like a design perspective or like you have like, uh, any, any other, like one of these ones that care about reactions, your opponent's like, Oh, okay. Well now that you've blocked for four, I will art of war to push it over by one. And then you just play your zero for three defense reaction. Sure. You cover it up, but you don't get the bonus for it. So you don't get the trigger. And it's just like, it feel it just feels weird from like a design perspective. Yeah, yeah, that makes 
That makes a lot of sense. And I think like Lightning Press specifically probably should be a reaction if they're going to have effects that care about if you've played a reaction or not. Cards like Art of War and Rain Razors can't really be reactions, even though they're like reaction-esque, basically. Yeah, and the more that they print like effects like Peace of Mind and Oasis Respite, the less like things like Overpower and Dominate matter too. So mm-hmm. like if they want to like start lowering the power level of instance a little bit, sure there's a cost to them in that they can't block um, no matter what, but it's not like you're losing that much because most reaction attack reactions usually only block for two at most. And you have to like cast these, but there's lots of defense reactions you have to cast anyways. So it's just like, I'm, the design space is really starting to blur in really awkward ways between instance and reactions, I feel like. Mm-hmm. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I don't disagree at all. Um, yeah, it could just be if they've played a card other than an action card, basically, then it should tr- could trigger the effect. So that way it got instance too. I don't know what the templating is for that, but like the templating for they played a reaction is also not super... <laughs> clean when this defends and the attacking hero has played and or activated a reaction this chain link so you get oozery you don't want you don't want oozery to skate on by whether activated <laughs> ability man mm-hmm. which like you could say that's like specifically because of, you want them to line up well and limited but like this is a majestic that's not going to come up that often but i guess it's nice that it does when you have this majestic <laughs> um yeah so I, I think the two other traps are quite good i think this one's like the fact that it's just like gonna be on so rarely makes it a lot worse but it's like fine it's still a blue block three that sometimes will be worth like six or seven damage yeah when you do the thing let's talk about the legendary elephant in the room though so like they're all legendary though so you only get one of each of these cards in your deck and sure it makes sense for like collapsing trap I, like that effect, I don't think should be allowed to have three of in the deck. I don't think there would be too big of an issue with Buzzsaw Trap or Spike Pit Trap being allowed to be three ofs in your deck. Yeah, Spike Pit Trap, I agree with. I do think Buzzsaw Trap is quite strong. Like, if you look at all the strongest aggro decks that we've had, you look at Viscerai, who goes Mob Shrill, it hits Buzzsaw Trap, hits Shrill, gives a minus three, basically. Um, you look at Briar, Channel Mount Heroic, and Light and Strike, a bunch of non-attack pumps before her attacks all get shut down by Buzzsaw Trap. You look at the Rangers, they all they both have, both Lexi and Azalea both have a reasonable amount of pumps. Um, Lexi specifically has Voltaire, which pumps by one, so this Buzzsaw Trap's just going to be worth five points every turn, every time you draw it on your blue. That's, that's just like really powerful and it makes sense to me that it would be legendary if it was like yellow or red it probably wouldn't have to be legendary but like if you're gonna print these traps at blue i don't think you can make them this like i guess like that's kind of another thing to talk about what do you think about having these at blue i think it's fine um i i guess my pushback to the legendary thing that buzzsaw trap being too powerful is like okay can we go back and errata everybody's legendary that's really powerful and above rate into a legendary should spinal crush be a legendary should oak and old be a legendary should um frost Hacks be a legendary like why do all these other heroes and especially in frost Hacks's case where it's just like it's the setup card that like leads to end game like combos and things like that like 
why do all these other heroes get to skate on by with their broken legendary interaction cards? But for some reason, like this niche has to meet specific requirements. Trap card has to be legendary. I just, I just don't buy it. Yeah, I guess my understanding or my thinking is they made three of them basically similar to Dromai's majestic dragon or legendary dragons that are majestics. We're like, instead of having one card that you get three copies of, instead you're just getting three one ofs instead. Cause like, I guess that's fair. It, it's kind of, it's kind of cooler design than like you have three collapsing traps to have three different traps. If they're all the same power level, it's like cooler design. I think like the fact that spike pit trap kind of sucks makes it feel bad, but like, if you look at Dromai, it's not weird that like you get Dominia, Tumultai, and uh, Optimai. Optimai as three one ofs instead of just having three of some big dragon. But those aren't Dromai specialization dragons. Those are just legendary dragons, and that kind of makes sense because like sure. these are like the like dragons. Like okay, like I I get the flavor of that, but like this is the bridge that collapsed. This is the set of buzz saws. This is the oh. hole in the ground with spikes coming out of it. Like, really? Once the first buzzsaw trap <laughs> happens, how are you? You gotta, you gotta know what it looks like. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Can't I fell for one buzzsaw trap? I see the saws coming Ooh. again this time. Can't fool me twice, Riptide. <laughs> fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. <laughs> I'm not walking over that bridge anymore. No, sorry, buddy. <laughs> Nah, I, I don't know, though. Um, outside of the specialization traps, I think Riptide's card pool feels feels a little bit weak to me. The fact that his bow is so bad, I think, is a big part of that. Like, Barb Castaway is not... It's just not really a very good weapon. And I thought maybe we have this defensive ranger. I thought maybe he'd have a weapon that attacks. But no, still just Barb Castaway, just... Pay a resource, load an arrow, or pay a resource to turn a thing, an arrow face up and give it an aim counter. Both those abilities are pretty mediocre. I think the first ability of paying a resource to load an arrow with no other text, that's just like real rough. If you look at like Voltaire or Death Dealer, like the amount of value they're getting when they're activating their abilities, Voltaire gives plus one or go again, and uh, Death Dealer gives you a full extra card when you activate it. Like I think Barb Castaway is a big part of why Riptide looks not too impressive to me yeah and like somebody had this really cool idea and there's even a precedent for it now in the game with like token attacks now that we've seen like katsu and spectral tigers like spectral arrows just make i have a bow or a quiver load like a token or um just like a arrow that can't switch zones like can't go into your hand and can't go into your graveyard just like it just loads this spectral arrow into your arsenal and then you can fire it for just like just even one damage just give them something that like they can like try to weather the storm through fatigue because it's just it's still going to be an issue for them in the end game where it's just like if they just actually run out of cards in their deck I guess they did try to solve that though with the legendary quiver that lets you put three air three you get three whole arrows back, Michael. Everybody's calling for remembrance to be banned. Here they go. They gave Rangers a free remembrance, but it's- <laughs> they just they just give them an extra equipment slot and they're like, here you go, you can slaughter remembrance right here. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very powerful. My take yeah, on Twitter think- though is that that's a plant for a shadow ranger that 
eventually they'll have a ranger that has blood debt arrows and you'll want to put your blood debt arrows back into your deck because you'll want to banish them from your deck or something like that and it looks very shadowy and i just hope that's what it's for because otherwise i have no goddamn idea why it's a legendary (laughs) but yeah makes sense i Honestly, all of the quivers look pretty underwhelming to me. I think Azalea's actually looks very good, but I think the other three all kind of suck, especially Riptides. They're like, you can you can destroy this quiver to clear your arsenal. Yeah, and they clearly <laughs> knew that that Riptide was going to have like gunked up and hard times managing his arsenal with this hero ability and his kit because they even present they even made a legendary equipment chess piece that says like, so you are having such an issue with having cards clunk up in your arsenal. We're going to let you once per turn instant turn one of these cards into a resource by putting it at the bottom of your deck. Yeah. And I think like Riptide will have, if the metagame is right for him, I think he's going to be a fine choice, but the metagame being right means all the heroes need to be wanting to attack with physical attacks and don't ha- and they need to not have the potential to fatigue you, which is like, asking for a lot of things to go right. So I think in a metagame where everyone's playing Agrodex, no one's playing Oldheim, no one's playing Icelander, no one's playing any Illusionists, definitely no Illusionists, no Wizards, no Illusionists, and no Guardians, Riptide's probably fine. I think he's in a fine spot. I think he'll have a decent matchup against the Ninjas. I think he'll have a decent matchup against the other Rangers. Um, the Runeblades, I think he'll be fine against. But like, once you are building your deck to fight these other aggressive decks, and then you also have to figure out how you're going to beat Oldheim and Icelander, like it's just a very big ask in my opinion. But I don't yeah. know. we'll see. And let's let's uh, my other critique of him and the whole trap design is also going to help me segue into Azalea, which is like a really good hero. But Azalea is going like really tall right now, like. Azalea was, is attacking me for like 17 dominated arrows that on hit I lose the game. It's just like, it's just like, okay, this hero is clearly doing something very powerful now and it's like hard to disrupt. Death Dealer is allowing them to kind of just keep flowing through cards and it's really hard to like keep them off of like these setup things. Um, they have um, abilities to get. Now, she is the only ranger that could probably play these aim cards because. I guess uh, I'll go on my aim counter tangent real quick because every other ranger in the game gets to jump through three special hoops in order to get an ability from their cards. They have to have a bow, they have to play their cards from arsenal, and they have to put a specially special counter on their cards in order to play them and have their effects where every other hat class and hero and everything else in the game can just do the thing. They have to jump through three special magic hoops in order to have their full effect of their cards. But at least Azalea mitigates one of those hoops by just giving you that hoop for a resource, which is a pretty low cost with an aim counter. Yeah, I, I think so. We kind of talked about the heroes that we don't think are going to be the best or have a lot of like big issues from the set. Um, I think like Azalea and Katsu, I think are actually looking very good. I think they are going to be impactful in the metagame. And I think like what you were saying about aim counters like we both hated aim counters when they first came out, but like the fact that they were planning this specific quiver thing that interacted with aim counters and gave Azalea easily, easy access to them. And then they also have this new bow that gives pretty reasonable access to aim counters. I think the bows like very underpowered compared to Voltaire and death dealer. At some point, those two bows are not going to be legal when 
Now, I think it's like very reasonable for these two Rangers to get Living Legend points. They're their signature weapons. At some point, maybe Azalea and Lexi are not part of the format. And then this Barb Castaway looks like a real thing. But yeah, Azalea doing messed up things because the other hero I was really interested in, in working on is Katsu. And so far on Talashar, I'm just getting beat up by Azalea when I'm playing Katsu. It's just like, they just attack me with like a 20 powered red in the ledger. And I'm like, they dominate. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, it's pretty hard to combo when you only get one action for your whole turn. And I think Katsu is really good into like a deck like Lexi that was going wide with arrows because then you got Flick Flack. And Flick Flack's good when your opponent's going like wide with multiple awkward breakpoints because you get to go f- like four on the four and then you get a five and then you get to block efficiently like down the chain that way. When your opponent's just attacking with like one tall effect, Flick Flack's not doing anything special at that point. Yeah, Flick Flack's just a sink ball that doesn't sink anything. So, but yeah, that. That makes a lot of sense that Azalea would line up well against Katsu, specifically because Red in the Ledger is very good against heroes that want to go wide, and Katsu definitely wants to go wide. (laughs) She also gets Remorseless, which is a card she's had for a while, but it's still very good against heroes that want to take multiple actions on their turn. And she got access to some pretty good pump spells. The new one that gives the next attack you play from Arsenal plus three looks very, very good in Azalea because she's going to give her attacks dominate and then on hit you're going to get that punter token which will put some random card in your arsenal that you can use Skullbone Crosswrap to flip up an opt one and find a nice arrow on top of your deck that you want to put in your arsenal. So, Yeah. And what's also been terrifying is uh, I was playing Katsu and then my Azalea opponent played a Melting Point which I was like, nobody's going to play Melting Point. But it's just a one for melting points. The majestic pump. It's just a one for four, which is fine by itself. But if the arrow has an aim counter, it gains when it hits destroy a one-handed weapon they control with base one power. So they just blow up one of your kadachis, and uh, I'm not running any extra kadachis in my sideboard for melting point. That's I'm not going that deep on it, and that I was very sad, very very sad when that happened, and then. I guess the other card that's really impressed me so far out of Azalea 2 is like all of the Fletches. So like the first thing you're going to want to like red Fletcher Redtail is just a one cost uh, non-attack action that your next arrow attack this gains, your next arrow attack this turn gains plus four. If it has an aim counter, it gains red cards have minus one while defending this. And one time my opponent played two of these and I had a mono red hand. I just, I just couldn't block like There was just no blocking happen. I just had to take the full like 15 damage that they presented on that arrow. And I was like, oh, I'm very dead. And then your turn was bad too because you had all reds. Yeah. Very punishing. Very punishing card. So Azalea has been like, like, I wouldn't say she was like super far away from being viable, but she was like, Definitely needed a, a, a few tools, and it looks like she she got what she needed. So I'm excited to see some big dominated arrows in tournaments, and I'm ready to see more big defense reactions and other ways to cover up big dominated attacks be, becoming like relevant in the metagame again. And hopefully it's not like... I don't think it'll be like Starvo, where you just lose the game, basically, and they, she does like infinite damage. And I think like... I, I think it's not at that point, but I do think like it's nice that these big defense reactions will become important in matchups again. Yeah. 
And that's why I've, I've been sad. So I, I was sad with Uzuri, and then I was sad with Katsu. And then right before this cast, Michael saw me playing a good old game with Dromai. And it might be Dromai's time to shine into all these outsiders. It's time for Dromai to come and rein in all these outsiders. I guess she's not very good against Katsu, but she seems very good into the like assassins and the rangers because she is like if Azalea is just attacking with like one big thing, um, she is usually very happy to play like defensive reactions and oasis respites block and then just come in with her dragons. And she, obviously Azalea still isn't going to have access to a lot of poppers and she's not going to have access to go really wide in order to like mitigate these dragons super effectively. So it seems like Dromai is a deck that I'm very interested to counter her. And I guess like if the other big deck that pops up to start checking Azalea is Oldheim and Bravo with these big disruptive effects, um, not letting her draw cards or not letting her pump her effects with like choke slam. Like these are all in Azalea is still not going to be blocking the best and doesn't have access to good blocking equipment. So Dromai seems like it could potentially be the place to be. Yeah. And like, I also just think sand cover is not a card that's been great. It's never been like a card that I'm like, this card's insane. But like if Azalea is a big part of the format, then sand cover looks like a very good card, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, how do you feel about Icelander into Azalea just on like a theoretical perspective? It seems rough. Um, yeah, I, I think it's probably a little tough. Azalea has a lot of access to Arcane Barrier. Traditionally, I think Azalea builds have been like very, very blue light, like sub like 10, maybe like as little as three or four. Um, which if that stays the case, I don't think it'll be too bad for Icelander because like most of Azalea's disruption doesn't line up particularly well against Icelander. And she was very vulnerable to both channel and uh, just any anything that gives, gives a frostbite, like a cold snap or something. Um, I think if Azaleas have the space to respect Icelander and fit like ten blues in their deck, maybe some energy potions. That are, I don't know what I don't know what the specific Azalea deck that had a high blue count would be. What like specific blues they'd want other than her specialization? I think like it could definitely be a pretty tough matchup. And because Icelander's not although, great at blocking going tall normally Icelander wants to block with like one or two cards and then use the other two cards. So if Azalea is able to pull off like that 15 to 20 damage arrow. Icelander's taking like 15 to 20 damage. <laughs> Minus three. She'll block yeah. for three. Sure. Um, yeah. I I, th- I think it'll be interesting. I think like, again, it depends a lot on what the decks actually look like. And I haven't gotten to play the matchup yet. So I. We'll start testing in the morning. <laughs> no. Maybe? I plan on being on tomorrow morning. Wow. We did it. Like normal. Um, so yeah, I, I think, again, I think Azalea is going to be a big part of the format. And I think like, that's definitely a big win for the set and pretty exciting. Yeah, for sure. It's always nice when heroes get their time in the limelight and it definitely feels like, uh, it's Azalea clock. Mm-hmm. So Katsu, you talked a little bit about Katsu. You said you were getting beat up by Azalea. So Katsu definitely got a lot of like new tools that are going to make him reasonably better. Um, the new surging lines, the bonds of ancestry, I think especially bonds of ancestry is very, very, very powerful. That card is just like, <laughs> it can be like a zero for eight pretty easily. 
if you're like playing the other two cards, which is very like zero for eight's like insanely above rate. Yeah, for sure. And you need surging strike to give whelming gust wave go again, but the new gust wave, you can just pitch the new gust wave into bonds into like a red fluster fist or something. And that is a three card 11 if they're all red. And then you can also just start by swinging two Kadachis before you do that. So that's a three card 13. That's like not that hard to set up. And that's without even having that combo starter. And if you have the combo starter, it just gets reasonably better. You, it's basically turns into a four card 18. If you have the red surging strike, I think. Mm-hmm. And four, four card 17, if you, if you play the yellow, which I think it's kind of reasonable too. Yeah. So um, I think the new, the new finisher um, dishonor, that card's going to be good in some spots, but it, honestly, it's like Bonds of Ancestry is the real like big hit that Katsu got. And having a new blue two power, blue zero cost two power thing that actually has relevant text when you do the combo line will be nice, but I don't think it's like Bonds of Ancestry, I guess, is just like the real, the real power card that's going to push Katsu more than the other, yeah. more than the Dishonor. I will say something I was running into with Katsu now is um, a lot of these cards don't cost zero anymore. And it's really awkward when you draw your hands that have a bunch of like one and twos, but your twos get reduced or your ones get reduced because you still can't pitch them or discard them to Katsu's ability to ever find a missing chain piece at that point. And it's just not something I necessarily like. I I still have a good amount of zeros in my deck, but it's just interesting how like even upticking that just a few percentage points makes his hero ability just so much less reliable. And if Katsu doesn't have a hero ability because he can't utilize all of these effects, plus um, uses like utilize all these new powerful cards like Bonds Vessary because they have costs, it's just like are we just playing Phi at that point? <laughs> because Phi maybe doesn't have like the best hero ability, but still gets access to like the Draconic chain pool or the Draconic card pool and just like a talent specialization and better blocking equipment. So like it's going to be really awkward if they print this whole set and it just turns out Phi was the real winner the whole time. Yeah, I... I don't know. I don't think it's very easy to fit these combo lines in Fi or any of the new cards in Fi, really. I think like Bonds of Ancestry requiring a combo card in your discard pile to do something makes it like a little bit tough. Though I guess like a lot of Fi's are already playing blue fluster fist and even like one or two red fluster fist sometimes. So like that's, I guess you could still bonds into that. You just have to add these new surging strikes, which aren't draconic. Um, but I don't know. I would not be surprised to see Fi's the best Phylist not really incorporating any of the new ninja cards just because like Draconic and Searing Everblade and getting that Phoenix Slam back for free every turn. Those are all like very powerful things that you make less powerful every time you replace a Draconic card with a non-Draconic card. Yeah. And also thinking about it, uh, Fi doesn't get access to the other very powerful line with Searching Strike in Mugenshi released in Lord of Wind. And that's been something I've been doing pretty consistently with the Katsu deck, where I've just had having like 20 damage turns or something like that out of nowhere. And just off the back of like shuffling in all these um, 
whelming gust waves and surging strikes with my Lord of Wind is just like because you get to like get all three Lord of Winds and then shuffle a whole bunch of them back, pitch a bunch of Lord of Winds. Like that that interaction is still very very powerful. Um, and obviously, Fi doesn't get access to that, but I don't know. Maybe like maybe it's better to trade off that one high damage output turn to have more consistent like medium turn outputs because like she's still going to be able to get to the chain links and lava burst is a very good card last i checked so i don't know lava burst is a very good card <laughs> i mean it's just like one above rate but it's still just like working with shuko especially makes it good and just like yeah one above rate is reasonably above rate like that's a whole extra point it's a third of a card so it's powerful for sure for sure but that's all I have so far as far as Outsiders is concerned. I haven't gone super deep in my few games of testing. It's just been disappointment and disappointment and disappointment so far. So that's why I need I need help. I need help, buddy. Help me. If I, I can't do this on my own. I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a lone wolf over here. Yeah, I'll I'll be there. I'm planning to be back. I was planning to be back Monday, like I said. I just Tuesday's my day off normally because I stay up late with Casey Monday night playing D and D. Oh yeah, I should stop doing that. Why? Because then you could come to armories with me too. Yeah. Stop spending time with your wife and start spending more time with Roger. (laughs) (laughs) So there are like a lot of interesting singleton cards that I think would be like worthy of maybe a whole nether episode to talk about. Like there's a lot of very, like there's a lot of actually like powerful generics in the set. And I didn't really expect that after like, uprising had no good generics and i guess i had crown of providence but not a yeah. lot of good generics i'm that. sure once we do our limited episode we'll have a lot of opportunity to talk about these generics too because i think for what it's worth i think this set does look like a phenomenal limited experience and i'm excited to start getting some seals and, and drafts in because like between the crossover cards the cross talent cards or sorry the cross hero cards the lack of talents and just the deep actual card pool of generics i don't think we were like expecting it just seems like a limited dream yeah yeah i i am very excited to get into limited prep and hopefully that's not too far away i think we have i guess to get into actual packs it'll be a couple weeks but hopefully we can do some online simulating drafts and stuff before then yeah we'll just we'll figure it out um I want to talk about the legendary equipment before we get out of here. We got some new arms that are generic. Yeah, uh, I was my hype started up here, and then just like everything else in the classic instructor format, it's been coming down and down, <laughs> and down, and down over time. What do you That's, think about them? I am very glad we got generic legendary arms. I think like if you look at how powerful the generic chest is, if you look at how powerful the generic hats are, like this card kind of sucks compared to those. <laughs> Yeah, to be fair, though, this is interesting because they said they don't want to ban a legendary and then they printed a legendary that directly counters another legendary. So like, it's like, that's kind of an interesting design choice because this is the, the arm piece basically says like, fuck over a crown of seeds, right? Just like, get it, get it out of here. If your opponent, if your opponent is trying to crown of seeds, you just pay a resource and deny their crown of seeds for the whole game. And it's just a whole game pay a resource each time yeah yeah oh. each, each time it happens you pay a resource and deny it for the whole game 
I see that's a little bit awkwardly worded, but like you keep paying the resource. Yes. It's not one time destroy their crown of seeds. It's not that good. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, I imagine like what happens if they print like a chess piece now that's just like chess pieces can't get counters. <laughs> you I, don't think, I don't think they do that i think that's like too weird every it's time like, the opponent tries to get a resource off their off their chess piece pay one and they don't get they get one they get that many resources minus one that's basically what they're doing with this legendary right they're basically saying like they'll get that legendary over there counter that legendary and if they're if they're worried about like the power level of legendaries and they don't want to ban them is this just a design space they're going to keep going down then? I think this is reasonably different. If you look at like, if you look at like all the damage prevention that exists in flesh and blood, there's a lot of it outside of credit seeds. Like spectral shields are coming back in a few months. Um, I guess they still currently exist in classic constructed, but they're like basically coming back in a few months when I get a light illusionist. Um, we have Oasis Respite. We have the new two mana or two mana one that gives you the ponder token peace of mind. Um, there's other damage prevention effects that I can't think of right now, but like, it's not like it's, melody. how could you forget it? <laughs> I don't know how I could forget enchanting melody. <laughs> so it is like very good against crown uh, of seeds, but I think there is other, like it, it does hit some other things. And like, it wouldn't surprise me if there's matchups other than old time that you would want this, this gloves in, especially the heroes that like don't have very good options for gloves. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll dial back my uh, dislike of this card then a little bit. What other do, do we have more legendary equipment we're going to talk about now? We already we already kind of talked about the ranger one that was also awkwardly designed just to fix uh, Riptide seemingly. But do you have anything to say about that card? Trading a card yeah. for a resource? I think uh, in general you don't want to be trading a card for a resource, but. I could see a world where Riptide or even potentially Lexi is running it over Tunic. Um, Tunic's not that good in the Rangers. Usually they're not looking to play super long games. And yeah, so. Just have Arcane Barrier 1. Yeah, it does have AB1. So Rangers I guess I could see. Protected against magic for some reason, I guess. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Azalea would play it, mostly because her arsenal is almost always face up due to her hero power putting cards in face up her bow putting cards in face up and her hat flipping cards up face up to up one. So I don't think Azalea really wants the new chess piece, but I, I wouldn't be shocked to see any other Rangers. That's fair. Over to Nick. And then I guess we're going to be shocked about something. I'm going to be shocked that nothing in this set makes silver and red back shroud exists. Like, I remember looking at that card. I was like, oh, cool. I can't wait to see like if we're going to get some new contract cards or ways to get silver. And people are like, we can't. There's no silver tokens in this set. Confirmed. And I was like, what? So you open this in limited and you just get like arguably a worse chess piece than the common slot sometimes. Like it's like fine. I, it has battle worn one. That's fair. It still so, has battle worn. So it's, it's still better than the common ones. But like, just the fact that like nothing generates silver is just so awkward to me in this set. Like, but having a card care about silver, even at legendary, it just it just feels weird. Yeah, I, I agree. It does feel a little bit weird. I am a little bit disappointed we didn't get any contract cards or any way to generate silver in the set. I think like 
I think that is something that I, I don't know. It just it does feel really weird to not have that. It's something that assassins like the first assassin we got is built around it. It felt like they were still missing a few cards, and then none of these cards really fill that role. Like some some of the assassin cards are powerful. They just aren't. Again, they 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 feel like they aren't really aimed at helping Arachnes, and Arachne will play some of them, I'm sure. But again, it yeah. does feel weird. And then we also already talked about the legendary bow, which is the shadow plant ranger. Move on. And then we also already talked about, or yeah, the legendary quiver. Sorry, which was for a shadow ranger. And then we also already talked about flick knives and how awkward that is. So, what's uh, the ninja legendary? Did they get one? No. They just got the flick knives. Yeah, because they are, they just got Shuko, I guess, was their reasoning. They didn't want to give them another standalone legendary. Sure. So Assassin got one, Ranger got two, and then there's one Assassin Ninja one, and then a the generic. Okay. Yeah. And there's just five legendaries. I believe so. We don't know what the Fabled yet is still, though. People are saying that maybe it's like a, maybe it's an assassin fabled, and maybe maybe when you pitch it, you generate a silver. Mm-hmm. That would be really powerful, actually. Just the blue that generates a silver when you pitch it. If only they had a good weapon to swing with their blues they were pitching. Talishar, man. You're right. You're right. <laughs> we're we're figuring it. it out. You get you you turn your Talishar slowly into silver. You know, you melt it down. <laughs> it's good flavor. <laughs> 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 uh, man, I, I I am excited to work on the assassins. I think like if you can solve the four and five card hand problem, which I'm not sure you can, but if you can solve it, I think they seem like potentially pretty strong. And I think Katsu and Azalea look great. Got some tuning to do with them, and we'll see if Riptide can do anything. <laughs> but I think. The metagame has to be in a specific spot for Riptide to look like a good choice, but that's not going to stop me from playing games. I love defensive heroes. With that being said, the next time you're feeling like an outsider, always remember to mind your manners. Thanks for watching. <laughs>